Coming back to the podcast, it's been probably about a month or so. Um, for those of you that are active listeners, you will notice that there is a voice that is missing in Dr. Carlo. However, I have Dr. Janessa Thompson, who was our new medical generalist here at Paw Health. Um, and she has been so gracious to provide us some of her time on her off day <laughs> uh, to come in and tell us a little bit more about herself, a little bit more about where she came from, how she got to where she is, and, you know, um, also provide a little bit of insight, too, on some of the new doctors that we have and how her perspective has changed in becoming almost by force, a mentor in our system uh, with these new doctors. Mm -hmm. So, um, Dr. Thompson, thank you for being here. I very much appreciate it. I really thought I avoided these things. You kind of cornered me. <laughs> yeah, we've been kicking this around for... Like, I think we've been trying to do this for like a year. Yeah, a year. And I was yeah. like, oh, I'm going to get out of it. And then you were like, this Friday. And I was like, oh. Yeah, I'm I can't, I can't cancel on that one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess... I know a lot about your story, kind of where you came from, uh, and you know the, the your course through vet school and all that sort of stuff. But most of the people that are listening to this have no idea who you are. Mm -hmm. um, now there are obviously some that are a little bit more proximate to where we are, um, whether they be caregiver, staff, whatever. But um, for those that may not know you in any way, shape, or form, how would you introduce yourself to them? Like, how did I end up here more? Yeah, so yeah. Um, I went to vet school in Iowa State, mm -hmm. and one of my closest friends uh, had a baby the year I graduated, and she owns a clinic in Wisconsin, actually about an hour south of here. Okay. And she asked if I would cover her maternity leave. Uh, she's a single doctor practice. So I was like, sure. So I got a Wisconsin license just to work there for three months and, like, graduated had a major party, went to work the next day, like, boom. I think my first appointment was a euthanasia, and I was like, oh, 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 oh okay. Oh. <laughs> we're just doing this. Just diving in. Yeah, yeah. and uh, when the three months were up and she came back, I was like, well, I paid a lot of money for this Wisconsin license. I've had it for, like, a minute. Um, I was like, why don't I just stay here? I don't have anywhere else that I really want to be. My aunt lived in Wausau, so I was like, I'll go move in with her, and I'll find a job that I like, um, and I worked general practice for two years in the area, and I kind of moonlighted here on the weekends, mm -hmm. and uh, I just loved the atmosphere of ER. I loved the fast pace. Um, I loved just... I, I almost got like a high off of being here. I was so giddy when I would leave here. I would work weekends here and work full days. Like I worked two weeks straight because I would just be going between jobs, and I didn't care because I was loving it. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was like April of 2016 that I started kind of moonlighting and then came full time in August of 2017. I think it was mm -hmm. when we started going 24 hours. Yeah, that was, uh, it was September of 17 when mm -hmm. the 24 hour flip happened. Yeah. So yeah, that would have been pretty much right around, right that. around then. Mm -hmm. And then, um, kind of just been here. Yeah, yeah. And been doing it. Yeah, so you're our one of our two primary um, day shift doctors. Um, you are here a lot, obviously, but um, yeah, I jokingly I guess, tell clients, I'm like, you can probably find me. 
You can probably like, find caregivers. I'm like, Jay. um, that's true. I'm that like, if you have true. questions, I'm here most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, do you have beds in the back? I'm like, yes, yes. but I don't sleep here. <laughs> Tend not, not to. Not, There's not too many purpose. things to do. <laughs> not on purpose. Yes. Um, tell me a little bit about kind of your experience in vet school. Like what was, you know, any notable experiences? Mm. I mean, Iowa is probably I one loved of the, Iowa. See, I would have pegged it to be one of the most boring places to go to school. I don't, I don't know. I think you look back on it like with nostalgia now yeah. that it's over, but it was like <laughs> hell. Yeah. But it was also the best time of my life. I don't yeah. know how to describe it. It was like play hard, work hard all the time. Yeah. So it was all night studying, not sleeping, rolling into tests, you know, haven't showered for finals week in three days. And mm-hmm. then like some of those people are still like the best people. And I talk to them all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, vet school, I thought I was just going to do general practice forever. And I was going to give puppies and kitties shots. And I liked medicine when I was on the rotation. Um, but I never really got to make major decisions. You know, there's always so many different people involved with every little switch in vet school. Like just even changing a drug dose is like white house level <laughs> just stuff. Pulling, just pulling teeth. Yeah. So I really thought I was just going to do the eight to five, no weekends kind of thing. Um, and I didn't mind it, but I was bored. Mm-hmm. Um, I would bring books to work. I was reading novels. Like I wasn't fully engaged all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, even when we'd have busy schedules there. Yeah. So coming here, it's like, I got the confidence to be like, okay, you know, maybe I can do this. Um, I feel like some of the true emergencies would come in and, and I wouldn't completely lose my ass. And I was like, okay, well, mm-hmm. it's not dead. So right. I, I, maybe I'm, I'm okay at this. Mm-hmm. And then just built my confidence, um, from there. But vet school was, I wouldn't do it again, but yeah. I miss it at the same time. <laughs> so where where is Iowa State? It's in Ames, Iowa. Okay. So it's about 30 minutes north of Des Moines. It's a huge okay. college town. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I, mm-hmm. I drove through there once because that's like, well, I mean, Iowa is pig town, but yeah. that's like pig Pigville, yeah. big time. But it's empty in the summer, and then in the school yeah. year, it's like 30,000 students. So <laughs> it's just students. Yeah. I mean, we had a blast. Uh, oh, I'm sure. And like yeah. tailgates and all yeah. of that. But then we also would live in the vet school for like weekends and just mm-hmm. lock ourselves in rooms and just memorize and study and try to understand what the heck they were talking about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, anatomy lab first year. This is, they're going to kill me if I tell this story, but I'm going to. Um <laughs> They have, we, 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 we do anatomy on a dog um, in the first semester and a cat. And then in the second semester, we have a horse, a goat, a pig, you know, like we do like all these other animals mm-hmm. and the horses we have on like these big racks because mm-hmm. we can pull them out of the freezer and then we can learn about yeah. them and pull them back. And we would ride the, <laughs> the hooks after studying, you know, so we'd like hook each other up and like shove each other down hallways because the racks go like all the way around the whole system. Right. And somebody took like a corner too fast and like fell off and got a concussion. And we were like, maybe we should not anymore. So you stopped for a day and then came back to it. Right. It was like, we're going to study really hard for anatomy and then we're going to ride these things. (laughs) You gotta, you gotta break it loose sometimes, (laughs) right? right? Isn't that how that works? Totally normal. Uh, And you went to vet school with Dr. Caroline, who if people listen to the podcast relatively frequently, they have heard her voice. They have seen her face in pictures if they watch it, but she has yet to actually be here in person. Yes. Um, Caroline was one of my core group of friends in vet school. And that was kind of how she ended up here. Is her dog needed a gastropexy and she works large animal. So Mm -hmm. she was like, who's going to do that? And I was like, we can do that. 
that. Yep. And then she came in and did it with Carlo, and he was like, she's going to come work here. And I was like, uh, okay. Yeah. So she sleeps in my house about once a month and right. just moonlights at the clinic and mm-hmm. pieces out again. And mm-hmm. so yeah. she's coming here this weekend. I, if I understand it correctly, I looked at the schedule and saw that and texted her and I was like, were you going to tell me that <laughs> just, she was just going to show Sometimes up. She does just show up. Yeah. yeah. That's all right. <laughs> it's fine. Um, did you have any, uh, medical interests or anything when you were in vet school? Like what got you to want to go to vet school? Like was, were you like the, the kindergarten no. kid? I wanted to be a human doctor. Okay. I wanted to be an OBGYN. Okay. And senior year of high school, I got into kind of an elite program where they put us in the hospital. There was like 10 seniors or something in the city. And cause you have to like sign every HIPAA form in existence yeah. and they let you tour and you let, you get to do like rotations on different floors and learn about it and see like where you want to go. And then they like sponsor you to do like a med kind of, um, undergraduate work and mm-hmm. all of this. Mm-hmm. And I was so amped and I did it the whole summer and I got to the OBGYN one and I was like, humans are kind of gross. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I don't know. Like I, I, I thought that's where I was going to go. And I had like this whole like mental dilemma. And my dad actually was like, I always thought you'd be with animals. He's like, you've been bringing snakes home and picking up, you know, baby bunnies since you were two. He's like, I always thought that's where you're going to go. And I was like, well, yeah, I like animals. And he was like, well, well, but like, what about that? And I was like, "Uh," and I thought about it and I started taking the classes and I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. okay, this is it. And Mm -hmm. then I, I really big into like my own dog sports. So mm-hmm. I compete with my dogs and I train my dogs. So it really reminds me of kind of that like human animal bond all the time. So I go home and I like, you know, feel those endorphins and yeah. I go back to work and I'm like, okay, yeah. you know, you know, I get, I get where y'all are coming from. Yep. Yep. Were you big into the sporting before you thought you were going to get into vet medicine or was it kind of like a simultaneous Simultaneous. Well, and I couldn't have a dog until senior year of undergrad and that was my first dog and then in vet school I started competing I was gone a lot of weekends at dog shows doing competitions we had a great kennel club in Ames I had classes three nights a week I mean I was just doing it all Mm -hmm. and that just kept it kind of going I mean in vet school it's really easy to forget why you're there yeah um so it was nice to get to go train three nights a week and be like yeah this is what it's about because then you go look at a textbook for 20 hours and you're like i'm gonna stab myself in the face (laughs) yeah it's it's that you once you're in just survive it right right that's that's what i keep hearing from everybody that's been to vet school (laughs) like every every different one like whether it's brianna or yourself and then uh, obviously the folks that went to msu it's like well i got in and then it's just C's for degrees because yes. if I can if I can muscle my way to them kicking me out in a with a piece of paper, I did my part. Well, and the joke is always that the A doctors do research, and then the B doctors work for the C doctors because <laughs> they can't run a business. Right. And the A doctors can't communicate effectively with the <laughs> so caregivers. They just have to be in their so they're own just world. doing like pathology and like typing reports and things. Yeah. It's the joke. I don't know how much accuracy is behind it. But. Well, well, Carlo was definitely a C doctor mm. and he's doing okay from a business operations perspective. I mean, they started doing interviews in vet school because they had all these wicked smart people coming in that couldn't talk to anybody. And, yeah. and it was like, this is painful. How are you going to get Mrs. Johnson to help her cat if you can't explain what's going on and she thinks you're a crazy person that, Mm -hmm. you know, has too much brain? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was actually just kind of talking with Carlo about that a little bit a couple weeks ago about there's, we we put so much effort in um, developing 
an understanding of what the problem is when patients come in and developing an understanding of what the solution is. But there's that in between of, I have to communicate both of these mm. things in a way that makes sense to average Joe like me. And th I think that's kind of what you're touching on is like, there is a part of that that is lacking because so much effort has to be put in on the front end of you need to know these two sides of problem and solution so well, there's only so many so many hours in a day, so many so much time you can mm -hmm. learn. And it seems like that, that communication element kind of falls by the wayside a little bit. Um, and then it's learned on the fly. So, yeah. And yeah. I think there's like a saying, don't quote me. I feel like it's by Einstein or something, but like, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well mm -hmm. enough. Yeah. Um, and that's like a huge component of our job that we get kind of, we did have a communication class in vet school where they made us like have mock consults with people on camera and then we had to watch them and grade them and it yeah. was fucking terrifying <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i remember one person like i was trying to be empathetic with and they had brought in you know this theoretical golden retriever and i was like i have a golden retriever like i get where you're coming from and they were like she just thought she knew me because she had a dog and i was like okay that went over well <laughs> I tried to empathize with this right, person. I was trying to like find something that we have in common. So you realize I'm a person too, but he was like, no. And yeah. I was like, okay, good. Yeah. This is good. Yeah. Uh, that's, <laughs> do you do, I, I mean, I'm assuming that that habit would have died hard at that point. Is that something uh, that you really do anymore? No, not a ton. I'm more along the lines of like, you just have to be understanding with people. I mean, uh, the biggest thing is that they just want to be heard. Yeah. So sometimes just listening to the entire 20 minute spiel about what has gone on in the last three hours from like every bowel movement to getting in the car and just listening and having an expression on your face besides like boredom yeah. is like, then they feel like somebody at least listened. Mm -hmm. And then you can be like, well, I don't know what's going on, but we're going to get there together. And mm -hmm. then they're like, oh, okay, we're going to do this together. We're on a team. And I was like, yeah, dude, like I, <laughs> I can't do without you. I'm not going home and giving the meds. Right. So even if we don't get an answer that it's like, we've already established like this bond. We're like, okay, we're on the same side. I'm here to help. Nobody's the bad guy. I'm not just coming for your money. Like we're going to get there together. And mm -hmm. then they're like, Oh, well you listen to me. Yeah. Um, did you, I, and I'm assuming that that was a part of why like being in the emergency setting was probably a little bit more like enticing because it's, if you know you're if you're more prone to problem solving or like having to dive in deep and having those longer conversations with people where they're more in just invested in the investigation um i would assume that that would be more enticing as a as a practicing veterinarian rather than the you know i'm going to give puppies and kittens vaccines all day long because that can be a little mm -hmm. bit repetitive i don't know do you have any I, thoughts I think on that to an extent in in ER, people come in kind of expecting to spend money to find an answer. Mm -hmm. People come into GP thinking that I can look at your dog and do like a brain scan and be like, it's this. And mm -hmm. then I'm like, I need $30 for an ear cytology. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We came in for just a visit. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. So here at least they're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's find it out. And then I can actually get answers. But mm -hmm. also like work, it was the atmosphere that got me, honestly. It wasn't the caregivers. I love the caregivers for the most part. Like I like my job, but it was the people. It was the techs. They knew their shit so well. Mm -hmm. I mean, learning from Trevor was like its own thing. Like mm -hmm. I tell everybody, all the new girls, I'm like, he's been doing this longer than you've been alive. Yeah. So like, just listen yeah. when he yeah. talks. Mm -hmm. um, this, everybody had their stuff together and they all kind of came around like a common cause. And I was like, this is so cool. This is what I thought I was going to be doing anyway. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the real kicker. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that was that like the big thing that kind of pushed you from GP over here, like just the cultural stuff, you know, a little bit more from a scientific exposure. You're just challenging yourself. It more. was culture. hundred okay. percent. Cool. Um, what would you, I mean, it, it was just that, that teamwork, that shared purpose and mm-hmm. all, cause you came in at a time where all of those ideas were being they were in absolute infant stage from an mm-hmm. actual like definition. There was, there was always the intention to have that be a reality, but none of it was written down. I mean, we down. didn't have an employee reference no. text. I never got onboarded. Like yeah. now when they talk about learning things and onboarding, I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I had a, I, I had an interview with Carlo for 20 minutes and he was like, come in on Friday. And I was yeah. like, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now but it was the passion behind it. Like, you know, you could feel like, yeah, we're doing it. We're going to yeah. do it. And I was like, you know what? I'm on board to do that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's it. It's, it so right. Because that was actually, for those that don't know, that was where my involvement with Paw Health got far more substantial. It went from, we, we knew that there were, we as in Carlo and Katie and, and yourself and the people that were in those infant stages were all of the same understanding of what we wanted to do. How do you scale it? How do you make it more replicable? How do you make it more, even more applicable to people that maybe of a different behavioral type or just different background, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. So we went from running strategy, which Jen did most of that in just like business development operations. Let's make sure that all the P's and Q's are in place and then got really heavy into the cultural stuff. And that was pretty much where I came in, not to say that Jen didn't do it. Her time pretty much just started going elsewhere. And I was like, well, here we go. <laughs> time to dive in and just start trying stuff, um, which I think does lead into kind of a good transition with how you and I met. Yeah, I hated um, you for a really long time. Yeah, and so the story really goes that, um, you know, we were working on, tools and resources and all sorts of different stuff for just company-wide use. How do we communicate better? How do we have this culture that we really like just be more consistent? How do we get more people into this in a way that's really effective and doesn't have this super long time frame of like just learning on the fly? Um, and then once we kind of got that feel for that a little, or just, you know, the, the, pro- the project's um, got legs essentially and started to move. Then it was right around that summer of 2018. So you were just about a year into working at PAW and full time, full time, right? And um, Dr. Carlo and I believe Annie had brought up the idea of you and I just meeting essentially. Um, I will apologize that I don't remember the exact purpose of it. <laughs> it was you, basically for growth and yeah. getting me into a better mind frame and sort of stuff. Yeah. I joke with Carlo that I'm like the longest running beta test that we've had now. There, there is that. Like yeah. we yeah. just throw things at Janessa and see if it works. And when yeah. it bombs, we're like, well, maybe not, not that. <laughs> and I'm like, this is fun. I'm having fun. Um, yeah. So I guess with that, um, You're actually going to understand it better than I, because like my mindset going into that was kind of like, I'm the guy that's willing to run the experiment a little bit. So absolutely. I think we all knew that there was sort of a beta test element to it because we all knew it was like, we've never really tried this before. Mm -hmm. 
what we don't really know where this is going to head, but and and there was a long road to get to where we are today for sure. But I think it turned out in a pretty good way. Yes. And I, I think we're actually through the quote unquote beta testing process. Like you, you've, and we can kind of talk about the examples that have pushed you into being medical generalist now. And, and basically that being the culmination of getting out of that testing mm-hmm. phase. But um, the reason that I kind of want to highlight that story is um, it, I think it'll give folks that are maybe in a tougher spot a little bit of perspective on like, yeah, sometimes you're going to be in the shit a little bit, but you can muscle your way through it and actually get to the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, if there's people that are around you that are willing to, and, and yourself mostly, um, that are willing to kind of work with you and, and push your way through that. So tell me a little bit about your perspective on where that, um, meeting first was sourced out of kind of your impressions of that whole process and then how you feel it ended up? Um, So I think from a large standpoint, they just needed me to get more on board culturally. Mm -hmm. And it was not what they expected because I think both of us went into it with expectations. And then like, I was expecting this like promised land of milk and honey. And then I got in on full time and I was like, none of this is set up and none of this is really happening. And y'all like lied. Yeah. yeah right. Right. Cause you had that, you had that feeling, right? Like yeah. when you were, when you were moonlighting and then starting to come on, it's like, this is good most of the time. And then it's not. Right. And then I was like, so we actually need a lot to do a lot of stuff. Um, And I think from their standpoint, they're like, well, we hired this baby vet who's been an only child her whole life and is like, let's make her, you know, fit in on a team. And I'm like, what is a team? Like, I I don't Mm -hmm. play. I never played sports. I never had a sibling. Mm -hmm. Like the idea of being motivated for others was difficult for me. I was Mm -hmm. raised Catholic, so that's on my side. (laughs) Uh, You know, we're like giving to receive. But it was but like, I was very much a survivalist in my head where. Um, who's going to think of me if I don't think of me? Right. I have right. to put myself first because nobody else is going to sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and um, I'm a problem child in the sense that if you put me in a box, I'm going to try to get out of it just because mm-hmm. I don't love rules that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were like, well, why don't you start talking to Ben about it? And then Ben made me cry for six months. It was on and off. We can say that there were highlights and lowlights. There were there were good times and bad times, but it was like we would we would make progress, and then I would mm-hmm. come back and talk to you again, and we'd be two steps behind again, and we just mm-hmm. I couldn't get it underfoot and keep it going. And I think the piece that I was missing in all of that was Carlo, mm-hmm. because it was me, you, and Annie, yeah, and right. this all started yeah. with Carlo and I kind of talking about this dream and this passion and all of this, mm-hmm. and him and I finally had like a hash out session for like four hours one night in that December mm-hmm. after that summer. Yep. And after that we were good and I got it. And mm-hmm. he gave me the support that was lacking, I think before. Mm-hmm. And then it's just been, for the most part, upward sailing. I mean, there's dips in the road, Mm -hmm. um, but I don't leave work and cry in my car the whole way home. There Mm -hmm. was a couple of those days. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had made a resume and I was debating sending it out. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt underappreciated and undervalued. And a lot of it was just because the support that I needed specifically from Carlo was missing. Mm -hmm. And as soon as it came in, even at like 10%, I was like, done, let's do it. (laughs) Um, And then kind of went from there and, and we kind of stopped meeting because we didn't, it we was, called them off because we were like, they're not working. We right. need to figure out something else. Mm-hmm. And then 
that December we, we met and talked to him and I, and, and from then it's just been like, okay, you got my back. If you say, if you say it, I believe you. And Mm -hmm. it's been good. So in those, uh, original, it was probably like six or seven times that we got together or whatever. My big focus, um, because we're like, my background is like, go find the resource and then actually like, just try it out, just like put it in play. Right. So when I, when the, the idea was, approached and I knew it was kind of in that experimental phase. It's like, well, I've done some of this myself, um, in practice, you know, in work and all that sort of stuff. However, I know that I'm not who everybody else. I'm a very unique person. I have my flaws. I have my pros and cons, whatever you want to call them. And so my mindset going into that was develop resources, just feed this person like ideas so that they can go digest them and turn it into whatever they have to turn it into. Um, And that was one of the more interesting things about like the communication that you and I had in the middle of that process was I can recall a a couple times where it's like, what do you want me to do with this? (laughs) Whether it was kind of the growth plan stuff or some of the like book materials or whatever it might be. And I, I don't have the specific examples, but I can remember the conversations that my emotional brain is talking to me. And I, that was probably one of the first times where I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I want you to use them. And le- learned a lot about myself in that process and have actually translated that into my role here in knowing that I'm not actually a great mentor, I'm a not, I'm a pretty good leader or challenger. Hmm. I kind of suck at coaching, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that was like the first kind of like uh, point of understanding that. Um, but my curiosity is of all of the stuff that we covered and tried and did. Um, do you feel like that made a big difference? Like, obviously you needed that, like that push from the I person think it that was could drive but. too much, too fast. Okay. It was like, here's six meetings and we're going to throw 80,000 new, ad- new ideas at you. Yeah. And I think actually it helped to stop having the meetings and give me like three or four months to kind of like digest, mm-hmm. um, and kind of let everything soak in because it, it was all kind of core fundamental things. It was victim mentalities. Mm-hmm. It was persecutor roles. I mean, it was growth plans and it was, it wasn't very much necessarily like doctor skills. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like do better at medicine. <laughs> it was, yeah. it was solely like, you know, be a better team player, you Mm -hmm. know, serve the patient more efficiently. It was these sorts of thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I remember you gave me handout after handout and I read them and I was like desperate at that point to try to get it to work because I was so miserable. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know how to get this to fit in. And I think finally giving it like four months to just sort of like sink in. Now I say stuff all the time and I'm like, (laughs) like, like the other day, Christina did something and she's like, I'm just going to change it in the computer. I was like, no, you're not. I was like, you're going to call up front. You're going to have them do it. And she's like, why? And I was like, because otherwise you're rescuing them. And I was like, (laughs) who am I? Where did that come from? (laughs) I was like, I can hear Ben's voice coming out my mouth. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not going to apologize because that was, that was actually like what we were going for was just like, you're absolutely right that it, it was kind of a seismic shift, but that takes time of there's the, there were these things that, like it was, and I think, I I think that I shared this with you is like, no one ever actually questioned the intention of what you were trying to do. Like there was never really a question of like, is Janessa's 
purpose really that much different from everybody else that's here. I think we all always had that fundamental understanding. There was there was the defensive element that you've kind of touched on where it's like if it's, you know, if I'm not protecting myself, who is sort of thing. But serve the patient was never really out the window. And with that and being able to share that uh, between the, all the parties involved, it gave enough time and patience to help you start to notice when some of those other uh, more essentially destructive talk paths would come out, even though they weren't intentionally poor, there was uh, a realization on the receiver's end, essentially, that um, that they were they the way that you were speaking was received negatively, and there was just kind of a an impasse at that point, and that takes time. Like I, we've learned that the hard way. I, I think it was easier at first to notice those things in others. Like I got yeah. really good at being able to tell when somebody else was feeling like a victim or mm-hmm. when they were going down that path, mm-hmm. um, but. It's a really, uh, it's a difficult thing to kind of call yourself out on your own shit. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not fun, and it's not something that you do willingly. I think you sort of have to force yourself because there's this this instinct to protect your own your own self. Mm -hmm. So to get to the point where you're just like, well, that was a load of bullshit. Where did that come from? Like that took me a while Mm -hmm. um, because. I am a much more emotional human than Carlo. So to have that thought in my head and process it is like, oh, well, I need to go cry for 10 hours now and then I'll be okay. (laughs) (laughs) To the point where like Carlo would send me emails and I would reply back and be like, I need a minute. Like everything was an attack. Now I'm just like, all right, let's fix it. How do we go? Like that switch took the longest because it's just like, well, I need to have, what is it? He calls it like my emotional response. Yeah, yep. Um, Which I think is funny because you know, now I'm doing medical generalist stuff and I'm dealing with things like patient advocacy, advocacy judgments. Mm-hmm. And he's like, after like a year and a half, I didn't have like that trigger anymore. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be triggered for five years because my <laughs> emotions are so much stronger than yours. <laughs> he was like 18 months. And I was like, oh yeah. God. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's actually really kind of neat having that perspective though because like I was so separated from the actual like implementation of it like I always had like a rough understanding of the struggles that you had but you and I saw each other once every other week for like three months so it's um I was always kind of curious how that went and I'm glad that it worked out because like you put a ton of work into it like I was there, <laughs> like uh, for those that weren't in those meetings, which is most everybody, it's like we we fought <laughs> like hard. It was like 90 minutes of just bare emotions and yeah. you and I arguing with each other yeah. and just like trying to get to the bare bones of what the heck we were aiming for and yeah. why. And that's why I wanted to kind of bring it up too because I feel like there are a lot of people just in general, like maybe not specific to, you know, just listeners to this or whatever, but that mindset is so horribly pervasive in like everything that surrounds us these days mm-hmm. that I don't actually blame anybody specifically for being of that mindset and having to go through that really tough transition because there's so many things that train us to live in the drama dynamic Mm -hmm. and we've talked about those roles on this so if you're curious go back in the library but like watch tv 
Right. Well, I actually went and started seeing a therapist like in my own time because I was like, I can't have one mindset at work and then come home and have it be a different one. Like it's gotta, it's gotta be the same. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that takes like personal work on yourself, not just like Mm-hmm. Janessa, the doctor, it was like, all right, Janessa that sits on the couch with four dogs every night also needs to do some work. Right. So right. getting it all lined up helped a ton and, and just being able to like get all of the things on the table and look at them and be like, okay, now what? I it's, that actually, I'm curious, how did you like actually start to digest this <clears throat> stuff? Like, are you, are you more of a, like just a thinking, like I'm going to keep this all in my brain learner. Are you uh, write it out, look at it, visualize it. Uh, maybe a more auditory learner. What worked? What worked well for you? My biggest issue is is that my brain goes a million and a half miles an hour every day. Mm-hmm. I tell people I have six to eight radio stations playing all the time, mm-hmm. and I can turn them down, but I can't turn them off. Yep. So it's hard for me to get ideas from start to finish if there's sixteen of them going. Mm-hmm. So I have to verbalize them and kind of write them down uh, and kind of set them down and take them away from my brain and like give myself a week to think about them while they're sitting on the table. I usually have them written down Mm -hmm. and then it's like, okay, pick them back up, put them where they need to be. Like, it feels like it was like a scrambled yarn ball that I had to like unwind and put where it needed. Mm -hmm. Cause I just, I, I don't have an off button. Right. My, right. my therapist all the time is like, she's like, how do you turn that off? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, if you tell me, I'll push that button until my hand falls off. But like yeah. right now. So like that, I find that really interesting. Cause for me, I, I can turn them on and turn them off. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Like I maybe, wish. maybe it's a gift. Maybe I'm just male. That's what I hear from other people. But, um, that's another, like learning that skill set of how to process was a big thing. Like, do you do the same thing from a medical perspective? Like, let's say you have one that's rather perplexing. How is that? Is it a similar path um, in understanding all of the variables? If you have all these things that are feeding in, do you digest in a similar way from a medical perspective? Yes. So in life, I go to my therapist and I say all the things and we talk about them. Here, I have a hard case and I call Carlo and I say, I just need you to listen to me say all this because I have to get it out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and then we're going to talk about what's missing. You know, I, I, I joke about it as like my, um, uh, like my spidey sense. Mm. Like I'll have cases where I'm like, we're missing something. Like we are missing a piece of this puzzle. And so I'll do like, I just got to talk him through it. And I'll tell him, you know, this is a three-year-old male neuter, blah, blah, blah. This is what all the blood work is. This is what I was like, we're missing something. And sometimes he's like, well, yeah, you missed this. And other times together, we're both like, well, that one thing. Yeah. But at least being able to verbalize it and put it all out yeah. helps me look at it like from an outside perspective instead of being in my brain jumbled with all the other cases I'm yeah. currently seeing. And have I eaten lunch? And when was my last <laughs> bathroom break? And oh my God, that book I read last night or, you know, like uh-huh. all the other radio stations right. that I can't turn off. Right. Yeah. And that's what I like to do in when we're talking about some of these more theoretical things or maybe just one case bases or case by case things is most of the people that listen to this are in the veterinarian world. They have this like fundamental skill set of like, I know how to digest medical things. I have this pathway that I tend to use to understand these individual cases because I'm given a set of 10 to a thousand variables and I need to turn it into something. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a similar process. It's just different variables when you're focusing on self, when you're focusing on culture, they're a little bit sharper because the realization or of like, uh, this is all on me type Mm. thing. 
um, I think is a lot harder for people to face. I think they're a little bit less concrete. That's true. Because you're talking about objects like, right. um, you know, you're talking about respect and trust mm-hmm. and these sort of oblong kind of gray. Yeah. You're not talking about this is diabetes and your glucose is 700. Like that, I think my medical brain likes that better because I can put it in the space it's supposed to be in. When mm-hmm. it comes to culture, it means different things to different people and, and everybody digests it a little differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously I'm a more emotional human, mm-hmm. but I've actually started to kind of use that to my advantage with my spidey sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like to be more empathetic with caregivers because uh, we get really busy and sometimes just being able to like be like, dude, I get it. It sucks. Like, you know, telling you your dog has cancer and they're like, so upset and I, I don't have a cure. I don't have a fix. I get it. I agree completely. This is the pits. This is, this sucks, mm-hmm. you know? And like just, just sitting with them for a minute or two, if you can, I, I think that that's something that maybe we lose a little bit when it gets really busy here. Uh, yeah. And mm-hmm. so trying to like be not completely shoving those emotions down all the time. Um, you know, it is my first emotional reaction and it's getting shorter and shorter. And instead of being, a day of me crying over a mistake. Now it's like 10 minutes of like, God damn it. Why did that? Mm-hmm. And then I can move on. But I, I, it's definitely something I'm trying to incorporate. I told Carlo once that I'm going to be better than him. I was like, I don't want to be you when I grow up. I want to be better than you when I grow up. Mm-hmm. And this is how I think to do it. Cause his emotional, his emotional capacity of like a thimble. <laughs> it's there. It exists. It exists. It's just, it's just managed in a much, much different way. Actually, uh, him and I, I don't remember if it was on a podcast. Or, it was, it was definitely on a podcast. We talked about how he has a great capacity to get really angry like we've both That's seen the emotion it. he's good at it's yeah it's it's truly like yes he's a person that his response is anger mm. um i relate to that i hide it a little bit better than he does but when his when his trigger flips like it's the same as when like it's it's a similar it comes from a similar place though as you it's just it's just enacted in a different way mm-hmm. so like you say that you're a highly emotional person well it's it tends to just be a little bit more focused on negative emotion like just like feeling i don't know what what are the words sad kind of just in the dumps like yeah. depressed Whatever the word is, and, and depression is a different thing than feeling depressed. Those are I right, put those but in their we're own perfectionists, world. so like mistakes are hard when, right. you, when you're expecting yourself to be perfect. Absolutely, <laughs> and for him, it's it's mad, but mm-hmm. it's but the the source of the reaction in and this is where I wanted to really hit on with that intention is the source of the emotional reaction. I'd say overwhelmingly is due to. Um, not being able to implement a solution like in the right way. Mm. Like it's, it's more sourced out of frustration because I couldn't serve the patient in X way. It was never like, I'm mad because this wronged me type thing. Yeah. We all do that. I am a very good case example where I have that thought process. I tend to get really offended for the caregivers when they're not, you know, like, Like when they come in with like super sick animals and they've been to the vet 17 times in the mm-hmm. last six days. Yep. And then I, even if, even if the other vet did everything right, I'm frustrated for them. Yeah. I get upset for them. They're mm-hmm. not even upset. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, I'm pissed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. which isn't helpful all the time, but. It, it, it has its place. 
and, and it, but it's it's how do you fuel it, right? How do how do you take that and then turn it into serving the patient, right? And with so it's so kind of just to transition, you know, like you've put in a lot of work, you've been up, you know, it, it's been that steady rise up, but it's had its peaks and its valleys, and you mm-hmm. know, it's it's just that trend. This summer was hard. I mean, this summer was hard on everybody. everybody. Like really. it was a steady rise, I think, in my performance and my culture. But there were some dips in there oh, where yeah. I was like, guys, yep. you're gonna kill all of us at this pace. Mm-hmm. Like we need a, something different. And yeah. now it's like finally getting to the point where we can breathe again. And I'm like. Whew, yeah. That was a marathon. Yeah, and a sprint. Yeah, all at the same time. I hated gym class, so I was like, "What are we doing?" <laughs> My legs don't do this. Right. I was like, "I don't want to run anymore." <laughs> um, it's like we got an eleven thousand square foot building, and I promptly broke my foot and well, had to yeah. like limp around in a boot. That. And I was like, "You gotta be kidding me!" I walked ten thousand <laughs> steps by like noon. Uh huh. <laughs> it was awful. I completely forgot that you broke your foot. You could hear me coming. Yep. It was yep. like peg click, leg. Click click. <laughs> yeah. Um. So what happened, though, this summer and putting everybody through their paces, really? Um, There's a pressure cooker. It for, yeah, right? Like, we, we, we definitely blew some steam out and lost a few people along the way. Mm-hmm. But we also made some diamonds out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the cool part about kind of your story thus far is, as everybody can kind of tell having listened to this conversation, like you went all the way from I have a completed resume and a stamp on an envelope essentially to now like essentially like for those that are outside of our organization, our head doctor, like we call it medical generalist, but you're the one that is the first go-to for all of our doctor staff Mm -hmm. in, in that medical generalist role. And in a pretty short amount of time, like you were, you were fed this these thousands of variables and like you it, it it that was probably one of the bigger dips of like i don't even know what to do with all of this and you i don't know what forced you through it basically like i don't know what the driving force was for you because i, I respect it it's just i, I was that you. i believe carlo like it yeah. was that it was that pipe dream i kept telling him i was like you sold me a pipe dream and i haven't seen it and that's a bunch of bullshit <laughs> Like, so, you know, it was, it was the idea that, that we had for Paul. Like, I still believed that could happen. Like I knew we were going to get there and I was like, but God damn, is it sucking right now? Yeah. But yeah, I could still feel like yeah. it was going to happen and it was going to be fucking fantastic. Yeah. And that was the only thing that kept me going. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, we, I know what the light at the end of the tunnel is because you've envisioned it for me. We've drawn it. We can taste it. Like mm-hmm. we just have to get there. And now, I mean, I, we're not there. I'm not going to say I'm not say sure we'll ever there. be 100% right. there. Yeah. But. We're closer. Two years ago, we were a lot further away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we went. We've been hustling the last two years. And we, it was, most of it was by force just because it's like, well, these processes and this communication that's necessary, it's like. Yeah, Carlo gives me crap because I'm really good at, like, finding, like, the problem Mm -hmm. like i'll be like hey so like this isn't written down he's like it's not a big deal and then like two weeks later it blows up and i was like remember when that wasn't written down (laughs) and like you know he's like you find like a divot in our process and you just sit in it until we fix it like hey there's a (laughs) hole here and he's like we know (laughs) i got it i don't got it but i got it i'm like but i tripped and fell in it and other people are too and he's like yeah well in that that propensity to find flaw 
and want to fix it, I think was another variable that pushed pretty hard into you being medical generalist. Mm. Um, so we got a little bit of time left. Tell me a little bit about that role. Like I, I was completely out of the loop on that whole process, really. And I know you kind of were too, but yeah. <laughs> which I think is hilarious. Yeah. But I, uh, yeah, what, are, what are you doing? Kind of yeah. what's enticing about it? I mean, Carlo and I had a conversation and it's like a light bulb went off in his head and I, I said something and he was like, you're there, you're ready. You're, you know, he was like, I was waiting for that last piece to click into place in your head and you just said it and now you're, you're good. He's like, we're going to give you this. And I was like, sure. Okay. And then I got an email with like what my job description is. And I was like, well, it's happening. <laughs> and what? Yeah. And so currently it's all kind of assisting Carlo, yep. right? Like I am just trying to ease the load on his plate a little bit. Um, so instead of all the doctors coming to him with questions and case concerns and comments and, you know, protocols and whatever, I field them. And then I take the things that I don't have answers for to Carlo. Mm -hmm. So instead of it being 16 emails, he gets two from me and it's like, what's the going yeah. on? Yep. Um, I deal with case reviews, both internal and external. Mm -hmm. So patient advocacy judgments where somebody has had an experience here and they write us a letter and say, you know, what, what went wrong with it? Um, those are the ones that trigger me because of course I am a perfectionist. So mm -hmm. even if they're not me, I'm like triggered for other people, you know, it could be about anybody here. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, we take that information and we try to remain like objective and, and say, okay, no, you don't have any grounds. Like it's, it is what it is. Or, Hey, you know, like process could have been better there. Like mm -hmm. our bad. Right. Uh, but also on the internal side, like proactive case reviews, you know, doctors can send me a record and be like, Hey, I did a recheck on this patient. And it seems like the other parts of this record are a little weird. Like, mm -hmm. is this, you know, is this up to par for what we expect for patient care? Mm -hmm. Um, apparently I do payment plans. Yeah. Which yeah, is not really a thing. Yeah. Like I should say that with like a big <laughs> asterisk after it. Right. It's like, don't do those. But, yeah. um, you know, if it's like a, a person can't afford euthanasia and their cat's open mouth breathing, like we're not going to be like, take it home and let it die in the parking lot. Like that's right. just a dick move. Right. So it's those sorts of ones where it's yeah. like, okay, we've already exhausted all our options. This patient has to be served and be, you know, most of the time humanely euthanized. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they call me and they're like, can we do that? And I'm like, well, I'm not gonna be like, no. Right. Right. Um, you know, it's just kind of like generating content for the doctors, you know, coming up with, um, different areas that we can grow in and, and learn on. And, and it's been good so far. I think we got like four or five like patient advocacy judgments in the first like month though. And I was like, <laughs> this is too much. I was like, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now it's getting more into like patient care binder. I sat with autumn yesterday. Mm -hmm. We ran through that whole thing. Some of it is super outdated, like mm -hmm. trying to figure that stuff out, uh, you know, triage training and re-onboarding of some of the older doctors and things like that. It's, mm -hmm. it's where I like to be. I told Carla, I was like, I'm not always, I can't just be an assistant veterinarian. Like for me, it's always what's next. I've even mm -hmm. asked him now. I was like, what's after med gen? Like, what's the next thing? I was like, and what's the next thing after that? And he's like, I don't know. And I was like, okay, well you need to find out <laughs> because I need to know where the ceiling is so right. that I can then like, pump through it and be like, right. no. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a, that's a great motivator for a lot of people. I'm, I'm similar. Um, I just don't know. I haven't quite defined what the ceiling is yet. For Apparently some reason, people just keep giving me the opportunity to be like, just do things. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're like more beta tests. Yay. Well, that's, I, yeah, there is that Look like recruiting, like, Hey Ben, we've never had a recruiter. Go do that. <laughs> 
Okay. That's how Carlos sometimes can be though, right? It's like, you'll be like, how do I do this? And it's it's like, he's trying to teach you how to fly an airplane. He's like, well, you get in and you turn it on and you fly it. And you're right. like, that wasn't helpful. There's a lot of dials right. and meters and, like, and things. Yeah, you're like, how do I do the surgery? He's like, you just do it. And I'm like, yeah. I hate you. <laughs> or I had one where he was, I was like, how do you know when you're going to break the stitch? And he's like, well, I can feel it breaking and I don't pull as hard. And I was like, that's helpful. Right. And what? Katie was like, I grab closer to the knot so that I can pull harder. And I was like, thank you. I was like, I don't know what that was. <laughs> How do you not break the stitch? I don't break the right. stitch. I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah he's I think with that. some of the stuff though, like I, Rhiannon told me the other day that like one of the first memories she has is of me as I was doing a C-section and she was here on like her extern intern thing and she wanted to watch and she was like, can I come watch? And I was like, yes. And I was like, but I'm not a mentor. I was like, I don't teach. I was like, don't ask me questions. And she was like, oh shit. So she just sat in there with her mouth closed like, <laughs> and but that's where I was at that time. You know, yeah. like I didn't know enough. And now I work with Christina three days a week, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes more. And, mm-hmm. and I, I feel like I don't always have the answers, but I've also heard, she's told me, and some of them have told me like, just having somebody here to like talk it through with is enough just to hold your hand a little bit and be like, yo, he's not going to bleed to death from that. So just clamp it. Well, you know? it's, but <laughs> it's, it's similar to you, right? It's just a different right. person. Uh, where if you need someone to spew information onto just so right. you can digest it, um, you know, that's, that's what they're doing as well. It's just, they're just a lot newer at it. Right. Hey, can you read through this? Sure. What would you do different? Uh, this or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's kind mm-hmm. of interesting. Cause I was like, I don't feel like I know enough to be teaching things, but okay. <laughs> like, you, I, well, and that's actually the kind of the last thing that I wanted to touch on with you is we now have three doctors that just graduated from vet school. You're six years out now. Five. Five. This was year five. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what kind of perspective has that given you? Like, do you know more than you thought you knew or? I didn't realize how jaded I was. Okay. Like I love having them here because they're just so excited by all of the things, mm-hmm. you know, like your first chest tap, they're like, oh my God. And I'm like. <laughs> I lost that for a minute. Now yeah. I'm like, yeah, this is cool. We do fucking cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they neuter a cat and they think they cured cancer. It's, it's just, it's so awesome. Mm-hmm. Like that energy to be like, wow, wow, we're, we're doing it. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy that. I do know more than I think I know. Like sometimes they ask questions and I'm like, and they're like, how do you know that? And I was like, I have no idea. It's just in they're there. They're like, where is that? And I was like, like, you want me to f- <laughs> rifle through the files and see? You know, like, I don't have data to back it up. I could probably find it, but this is the thing. And they're like, well, no, that sounds right. But where did you learn that? And I was like, I just did. Just did. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sometimes I'm like, okay. But then other times they ask me questions and I don't have an answer. And I'm like, but sometimes there isn't an answer to be had. You know, mm-hmm. like with surgeries, they're like, would you just keep doing this or change this? And I'm like, we can figure it out like as we go. Like I had a dental last week, two weeks ago. And I was like, Christina, you should come learn to do dentals. Cause I hate them. And I do them a lot. And, and I was like, my secret goal is she's going to start doing them. And then I don't have to get carpal tunnel. Like that's <laughs> not a bad goal to have. Right. And so she was like coming and she was super excited. And the dental was just a shit show from beginning to end. Like this patient didn't have a normal dental. I was like, take everything that happened and delete, like control alt delete. This isn't, and she was like, well, what do you do? Because the jaw had fractured, was fractured before surgery. We didn't realize till the patient was sedated. And mm-hmm. I was like, I just got to get this motherfucking tooth out and then I can fix the jaw. And she was like, really? And I was like, like, that's all surgery is. Like, get the problem out and then we'll figure out yeah. how we can put Humpty Dumpty back together. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and so I was like, don't, you, 
don't don't watch this dental anymore. Go away. But it, it also provided a good context of like the art, right? Like, and I, I know that we've made that joke. If it's a joke, like sometimes surgery is science and sometimes surgery is art. And it, although it's like, this was definitely not a by the book dental experience. It also provided her a good insight into like that in the moment decision-making. Well, she was like, I would have just lost my ass right, and not right. known what to do and would have probably had a high, like mental breakdown. And I was like, we can put most things back together again. Right. Like bottom line, mm-hmm. you just, you just gotta get the bad things out and then we will figure it out. And right. if I can't fix it, Carlo certainly can. Right. Right. Like we'll it, get there. There's always a solution. Right. And it's, and I think that's probably one of the hardest things for a lot of people to learn. Um, in it's not specifically in this setting, but like in the ER setting is like, sometimes you just gotta go. <laughs> I tell them all the time, like when things come in crashing and they're like, what do I do? What do I do? I'm like, you're not going to make it more dead. So do something right. Like they're better off than if they hadn't been here. Yeah. Cause they're like, what if I do it wrong? And I was like, you're better than the living room. Like, Mm-hmm. you can place an IV and get fluids going. Most of the time, that's the right answer. Like mm-hmm. if it takes you six seconds to kind of figure out what the next step is, that's fine. But like, you're going to be better than, than the alternative, which mm-hmm. most of the time the alternative is nothing. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about all of our exotics. People are like, I don't know anything about chameleons. I don't know anything about chameleons, <laughs> but <laughs> I can figure it out and right. I am better than nobody. Right. Like there right. is a need to be served and I will fill it as best I can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's, that's what, I mean, that's part of that pipe dream, right? Is like, we might not have the answer, but we're going to be here. We're going to be available. We're going to get there. We're going to problem solve our way through right. it. And we're going to get somewhere. It's just the common goal, right? Like we're all trying to serve the patient. The yeah. caregivers are, mm-hmm. we are like, mm-hmm. that is the center of it. And, mm-hmm. and when you kind of just realize that as the major factor in all of it, it's like, okay. There's yeah. going to be bumps along the way, but like it's better mm-hmm. off than if it hadn't come in. Right. Like, even if it just comes in to be euthanized, it's like, you know what? It's not suffering. It's exactly. still better off. Absolutely. Yeah. That's <laughs> like, yeah. If, if that's your answer on the crashing patient, I've told the new grads like, that's fine. That's mm-hmm. an answer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are a little bit over an hour. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. That's perfect because I have to be on the floor in like 25 minutes. So, I'm not done with you in this setting because I have an idea. Oh, Lord. Um, We're going to actually break out an ERT because, like, you and I built a lot of those tools. And then they got expanded upon, obviously. Mm -hmm. But um, I kind of want to get your perspective on some of the things that are specifically in there. I think it'll be a cool extra perspective for some of the folks that have listened to them from, like, a... Because we've gone over most of it, but the they were all very theoretical and mm. you and I practiced them like in the moment with hammers and with like, hammers. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't like fun practice. Right. So, uh, it'll be, it'll, I think, I think that'll be kind of cool. Yeah, so we'll, sure. we'll have to keep that on the horizon, but, um, yeah, I guess for now, I think we can kind of call this one good. Thank you very much yeah. for the time. I really appreciate it. It wasn't as bad home. as I thought. So. It's not that bad. I Everyone's know. always so fearful. Just, it's like, you don't have to look into a camera. You just have to talk into a microphone. Well, you just have to talk to Ben, which well, is like, the, that's tedious. I'll give <laughs> you that but all right all well right. um thank you all very much for tuning in we will see uh when we see you i suppose have a good one <laughs>